1: I'll be a butterfly someday. I'm a very hungry caterpillar now. (laughs) (laughs) Bill Curtis. (laughs) And here's your host at the Studebaker Theater in downtown Chicago. It's Peter Sagal.
2: Thank you, Bill. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much. It's good to see you. Later on, we're going to be talking to acclaimed author and MacArthur genius, George Saunders. Uh, But first, this month, Marks our 25th anniversary on the air. That is right. We first started broadcasting, wait, wait, in January 1998. And I can't tell you how proud we are of bringing the world about 16 years of quality comedy. (laughs) (laughs) But we want to hear how old you are today. So give us a call and help us start our second quarter century. The number is 1-888-WAIT-WAIT. That's 1-888-924-8924. Hi, you're on, wait, wait, don't tell me. Hi, this is Mike Lairdahl from snowy St. Paul, Minnesota. Oh, snowy, are you in fact still having like traditional Minnesota winters because our Chicago winters have just simply been too mild. Yeah, they're either, it's either all or nothing these days it seems. <laughs> yeah, I so, know. What do you do there in St. Paul, a place I love?
1: Uh, I am a customer success manager for a marketing technology company.
2: A customer success manager? <laughs> yes, yes. Is that what we're calling it now? <laughs> <laughs> account management, we'll account, go with that Account management, account management. so the, your customers have So you're not the person we get when we dial the 800 number, right? You're, no, no, no. no, 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 different
3: no. from customer service
2: Do you get like involved yes. in customers' personal lives? You don't want them just to be happy with your pro- company But like also find love and get a good pet and that sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> Depends on how much I like them I understand, Yes. Well, welcome to the show, Mike. Let me introduce you to this week's panel. First up, she's a comedian who will be at the Bottle Rocket Social Hall in Pittsburgh, PA on Saturday, January 14th. It's Emmy Blotnick. Hello. Caller
3: oh. success.:
2: Caller su- customer success. Yes, caller success. We should be invested in your success. <laughs> Thanks for inspiring. Next, he's an actor and comedian co-hosting the comedy variety show "We Fixed it at Caveat in New York City on January 19th. It's Peter Gross.: Hi there) And finally, a comedian who will be in Englewood, New Jersey on Friday, March 10th at the Bergen Performing Arts Center and in Skokie, Illinois on Saturday, April 1st at the North Shore Center for the Performing Arts. It's Paula Poundstone. Hey, Mike. Hey, Paula. So welcome to the show. Mike, you're going to play Who's Bill this time. Bill Curtis is going to read you three quotations from the week's news. If you can correctly identify or explain just two of them, you will win our prize. Any voice from our show you might choose in your voicemail. You ready to play? Yep. Here is your first quote. I
1: was a star volleyball player for Baruch College.
2: (laughs) That was the latest lie, as of Showtime, told by a newly sworn in member of Congress who has lied about everything. Who, or rather I should say, what, as far as we know, is his name. (laughs) Oh, uh,
1: George?
2: Yes. Santos? Yes, Yes. George Santos. Yes. Yes. After lying about his education, his career, his residence, his income, his ethnicity, and his employment, it finally got too much for the Republican officials from his district in uh, Long Island who called for George Santos to resign on Tuesday. Or as Santos put it, on Tuesday, he became the winningest director in Golden Globes history. (laughs) Now, one of the guys who spoke and called for his resignation, that was the chair of the Long Island GOP, he said that Santos had told him that he, Santos, had been a star on the volleyball team at Baruch College and had won a championship with that team, despite the fact that Santos never actually attended Baruch College. Now, for those keeping score, that is a different college he didn't attend from the first college <laughs> he said he attended, that he also didn't attend. LAUGHTER did they even win the championship when he said, like, did he do enough research to
4: plausibly lie? Or is no, so that's the funny that... thing.
2: They, they have won a championship, but it was after Santos didn't graduate. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yes. I think the tense of
4: that and the logic of that does somehow make sense. But, 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 but you have to put yourself in the mind. It mud. is like, like a word problem. It's like if George Santos doesn't graduate from Borough College in 2018, but then they win afterwards, how would you say that they won after he did not graduate <laughs> from me? <laughs> yeah. It's a logic. Like my it's son like- is taking logic. That would be the... <laughs>
2: What's weird is, I mean, imagine that moment he's talking to this guy and says, oh, yeah, you know, um, I'm, I'm athletic. I went to Baruch College and I played volleyball. But that's not enough for him in the moment, right? Yeah. He's like, and we won a championship because that's, that's just he just won't stop. He's yeah. great.
3: You can't take away the volleyball trophy I don't
5: have. Exactly.
1: <laughs>
3: the idea that
5: he would suggest that he was athletic, too, because, right, you look at him and,
3: no, he's not athletic. <laughs> no, he looks like, like Marco Rubio's Clark Kent. You know
2: <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> All right, your next quote Uh, Is our president, President Biden, reassuring us about something that was found next to his beloved Corvette?
1: Mm, By the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage.
2: That was him somehow trying to defend himself uh, against charges of mishandling what? Uh,
1: Confidential
4: documents from uh, his time as vice president.
2: That's right. Classified documents. Uh, First, we found earlier this week that lawyers had found classified documents in one of president biden's uh, offices and then this week more classified documents were found at his garage in delaware that explains why he was always saying to jill when they were at home hey while you're out there grab me a miller lite and the nuclear codes <laughs>
5: what if it turns out like every president has i wondered you about know, that like jimmy carter
2: in a few days yeah <laughs> Jimmy Carter's it's, 96, he's shuffling yeah, out he's to the backyard going, Rosalind, we gotta burn these. <laughs> <laughs> no,
5: I don't think he would wanna burn. It's gonna turn out that he accidentally
2: put them in the foundation. Or of something, a, one of those of houses a, for a humanity. A, of the yeah. Habitat to Hab- yeah,
5: yeah, like, oh darn it.
2: In a way, this is really kind of nice, though, for him and Trump, because now they have something in common, right? You start with something you share, hidden classified documents, breaks the ice. You find out more you have in common. Hey, you have an embarrassing son? Me too. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, unity ticket.
3: And knowing Trump, he'll be like, I have more documents hidden away. <laughs> yes. I have the most classified. I have more than one embarrassing son.
5: Exactly,
2: yeah. yes. <laughs> Here is your last quote. Time fix my
1: todger.
2: When would it work its magic on my heart? Those words are from the royal memoir published this week that quickly became the fastest-selling nonfiction book in history. It's a book by whom? Uh, Prince Harry? Prince Harry, yes! yes. Prince Harry's memoir, Spare, has broken multiple publishing records for fastest-selling book, most sold in a short period of time, and most readers doing a Google search and going, Oh, God, that is what Todger means. Wait, what does it mean? I shall tell you. Oh, no. Uh, he writes about how he went down to Antarctica for some reason, and because he did not wear appropriate insulation on his lower half, he got frostbite on his todger. Gotcha. So oh, yes. knees, the area between yeah. the knees and the higher. Thigh? Yeah.
4: <laughs> his todger. His
2: royal belly button. Yes. No. His, his, his scepter, if you will. <laughs> Apparently, the book, uh, the book is rather raw, apparently. People are thinking that, like, Harry needs some therapy more than he needs uh, to write a book. He complains bitterly about his family. He tells us about how much he dislikes uh, Camilla, for example. Uh, he tells us that his brother, the heir to the throne, Prince William, is uh, going bald, which is something only could have known by looking at him. <laughs> Didn't they fight too? They got into like a fist. fight? Yeah, they fight got in or like or they actually had like a fist fight of sorts.
3: They wow. had a gladiator fight at uh, Todger Stadium. <laughs> <laughs>
2: there you are, yay! Thank you. Thanks. Wow.
1: <laughs> Bill, huh? Bill, how did Mike do in our quiz? Mike is very, very good. He
2: got them all right. Congratulations! I think we Thank can you, say. Mike. I think we can say. That in this particular case, our customer was successful. Oh, there you go. Yes, there you go. There you go. Thank you so much for playing. Yeah, thank you. Take care, Mike. Right now, panel, it is time for some more questions for you from this week's news. Emmy, you remember the board game Clue? Uh, Colonel Mustard with the revolver in the library, that game. Well, Hasbro has released an updated version, and while the rules are still the same, everybody is talking about what big change.
3: Oh, please tell me the candlestick is still a weapon. The
2: candlestick is still a weapon. Okay, I mean, no I, then
3: I, I have no issues with any other changes.
2: <laughs> is that always your favorite murder weapon? It's
3: just the most grisly one, right? If you More can than kill the lead some, pipe? I feel like lead pipe's a weapon. Candlestick, you've got to really go at it for a long time,
5: right?
2: With the frozen todger.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh. Not, they still have the candlestick, but that, we have to get back to the question. Okay. What did they change that everybody's talking about?
3: Uh, it, is, um, is Professor Plum tenured?
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes. And who's running around going, yes, I'm the murderer, and you can't do anything to me now. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll give you a hint. Uh, Miss Scarlet, she may not murder, but she absolutely slays.
3: Oh no! Is this another Todger thing?
2: (laughs) I'm going to give you one more hint. It has to do with the picture on the cover of the game box.
3: Is it like a thirst
2: trap? Yes. They're all sexy now. Oh. oh.
4: Just, wait, that's, oh that's,
2: of course, sexier
4: pretty. than the old Professor Plum. Yes. I
2: don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> no, the, 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 the uh, Clue, the 2023 version of Clue has had a makeover. that takes, you know, the classic characters like Ms. Scarlet and Mr. Green. They made them all super hot, you know?
5: Ms. Scarlet was always
2: a babe. Yeah, well, now they all are equally babelicious. Now she's just a whore. <laughs> So it's amazing. On the box, all the characters now look like Instagram fashion influencers. Ms. Mrs. White you now has like this short, asymmetrical haircut. Colonel Mustard looks like he should be called Daddy Mustard. <laughs> Zaddy Mustard.
3: <laughs> I hope this doesn't catch on. I don't know if my tender heart can handle the thought of like the Monopoly Man with ripped pants. You
4: know.
2: You want to want uh, to pass go. <laughs> Coming up, we make a cold call in our Bluff the Listener game called one wait wait to play And we'll be back in a minute with more of Wait-Wait-Don't-Tell-Me from
0: NPR. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Easy Cater, committed to helping companies solve food. From employee meal plans to on-site staffing to concierge ordering support. With corporate accounts, nationwide restaurant coverage, and payment by invoice. EasyCater.com
5: climate change fuels hurricanes china promises to stop the big lie persists butterflies have hearts singers die plumbers win
0: nurses persevere your world speaks we listen npr NPR
3: podcasts more voices voices. all ears find npr wherever you get your podcasts
0: instead of scrolling mindlessly engage mindfully with the npr app with a mix of on-demand news stories from this station and your favorite podcast you can relax without shutting off your brain download the npr app today
1: From NPR, the WBEZ Chicago. This is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We are playing this week with Emmy Blotnick, Paula Poundstone, and Peter Gross. And here again is your host at the Studebaker Theater in Chicago, Illinois, Peter Sago. Thank you, everybody.
2: Right now it is time for the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Bluff the Listener Game. Call one triple eight wait wait to play our game on the air. Hi, you were on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi, this is Jamie Brennan from Boise, Idaho. Oh, I, I, oh, Boise is great. What do you do there?
3: I'm a kitchen garden consultant.
2: A kitchen garden consultant?
3: Yes, I own a small business. We design and install kitchen gardens in Boise.
2: But I would, I would imagine that people who live in Idaho would know how to do a garden, but am I wrong? Or people like need your help to have a successful garden?
3: Yeah, we have a lot of new transplants um, who are used to growing in different locations, so we we try to help them get started in our climate.
2: Oh, how great. That's very nice. Well, I'm Mm -hmm. so glad to hear that. Welcome to the show, Jamie. You're going to play our game in which you must try to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what is Jamie's topic? Worst butt dial ever. We all know about (laughs) the butt dial. We've all done it. Your cheeks decide to call someone out of the blue without the rest of the body's permission. Well, we read this week about a particularly unfortunate butt dial, and we're going to have our panelists tell you about it, but only one of them, of course, is telling the truth. Pick that panelist and we'll win our prize, any voice that you might choose on your voicemail. Are you ready to do this? I'm ready. All right. Let's hear first from Paula Poundstone.
5: After receiving a ransom call for the return of his 16-year-old son, Elvis Trester, Kissimmee, Florida father, Jonathan Trester received another call. The kidnapper butt-dialed him. I I I I said, hello? But no one answered. But they didn't hang up. That's when I knew I'd been butt-dialed, says Trester. Then I hear my son say, you asked my dad for a million (laughs) dollars? Oh, like my dad has a (laughs) million dollars? Kidnap much? (laughs) (laughs) And the guy says, he'll get it. And I hear my son say, I'm hungry. There's a McDonald's right there. Turn here. Turn here. Go. Oh, you could have gone right then. (laughs) Oh, my God. Can I just drive? Uh, My friend TJ was kidnapped, and his kidnapper took him to Best Buy. (laughs) The police were able to use the ongoing call to track the phone's location, intercept the car, and recover Elvis unharmed. The kidnapper now faces 25 years to life in prison, but he says that after his day with Elvis, he can handle anything.
2: (laughs) The kidnapper gets caught by a butt dial. Your next story of a dialing derriere comes from Peter Gross.
4: Radio DJ Tony Madman Mendoza of 98.5 KFOX in San Francisco ran a typical radio contest this week. The 98th caller would win tickets to a Bruce Springsteen concert on Thursday night. But when that 98th call came in and Mendoza barked out his signature, you're talking to the madman, there was silence on the other end of the phone. Hello? Anyone there? 98th caller? Mendoza asked, not realizing, of course, that he was talking to a butt. (laughs) Here's where the ordeal began. Due to KFOX legal policy, Mendoza couldn't just move on to the 99th caller. The number of caller he announced on air legally had to receive the tickets, so he plumbed the station's phone records and found the number that the 98th call originated from. But whenever he called back to try to award their prize, the voice on the other end of the phone would yell, no, I will not donate to the Democratic Party, and hung up. (laughs) I never even got to voicemail, said Mendoza. I guess my number is similar to the one Nancy Pelosi uses for fundraising texts. (laughs) Then he tried to appear before a judge to request the address of the caller from the phone company, and he set the city record for fastest request thrown out of court. At his wit's end, he rented a billboard with the question, is this your phone number? KFOX has your Bruce Springsteen tickets. The next day, a Mr. Leo Chu of San Mateo, California, called Mendoza and told him, I was the 98th caller, but I don't really like Bruce Springsteen. Got any Taylor Swift
2: tickets? Those are easy to get, right? (laughs) guy butt-dials and wins a contest in a radio station, thereby making the life of the DJ miserable. Your last story of a rump gone rogue comes from Emmy Blotnick.
3: (laughs) This bad butt-dial story comes to us from a Rainbow Six Siege player named Elijah, who was in the middle of a heated Xbox party when his butt accidentally dialed 911. The operator overheard him talking to his teammates as he said, I killed two people. And then all hell broke loose. (laughs) Within minutes, armed police officers took this siege IRL. They showed up at Elijah's door to investigate what they thought was a self-snitched double homicide. (laughs) But what they were met with was a kid home alone in pajamas and no one dead. They just scared the Rainbow Six out of him. (laughs) After searching Elijah's house for hours, he was deemed innocent. The true perp, Elijah's butt. The point is, don't wait until it's too late. Sit down and talk with your butt about the dangers of smartphones.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right. Somebody butt dialed somebody this week. Was it from Paul Poundstone, a kidnapper who butt dialed his hostage's father, who got to listen as the hostage drove the kidnapper crazy for once? From Peter Gross, a guy who won a radio contest via a butt dial, making life hell for the DJ. Or from Emmy Blotnick, a young video gamer who accidentally confessed to a fake double homicide by butt-dialing the police at just the wrong moment? Which of these is the real story we found in the news?
3: This is really hard, but I think I'm going to go with Peter's story
1: about the radio DJ.
2: All right, your choice is Peter's story to bring you the correct answer. We spoke to someone familiar with that real story. He was like, oh my gosh, Like I just called the police and I said I killed two people. <laughs> that was uh, Sam Goldberg. He's the head of podcasting for Law and Crime, talking about this particular non-crime. That's right. It was Emmy's story of the video gamer who didn't actually kill two people, no matter what his butt said to the police. <laughs> I'm afraid that you were fooled by Peter's story. Uh, and uh, you have won a point for him, but I can't say that you've won our game. But thank you so much for calling. Thanks
3: for having me. Bye-bye.
2: <laughs> Bye-bye. And now the game where we ask very, very smart people about something usually pretty dumb. George Saunders, one of the most acclaimed fiction writers alive, did not grow up wanting to be a writer. In fact, he didn't start seriously writing his short stories until he was almost 30. So kids, if you want to end up winning a MacArthur Genius Grant and the Man Booker Prize, put down the notebooks filled with angsty poems and take off the turtleneck and go work in a slaughterhouse for a (laughs) while. George Saunders, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Really nice to be here. And so, is that true? You had a bunch of odd jobs before you were a writer, and you worked, um, you were a roofer
0: here in Chicago, up on roofs, roofing, Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you worked in a slaughterhouse? I did, not for very long, but I, I, um, I was in Amarillo, Texas, and I needed to get to Chicago, and I needed about $800 to get my car fixed. So yeah, and my, my, uh, my job was a knuckle puller, and uh, you know, you just kind of, it, it was really cold in there, and uh, these big legs, they, they look like big drumsticks and you, we would just stand in line and wait for our, uh, our leg to come by. And then, uh, you know, there's this incredibly elaborate thing you had to do to get this piece of meat out of there. And then you just took it and, like, pitched it across the room onto this conveyor belt. So mm, it was mm, pretty mm. sweet. Pretty sweet. Yum, yum, yeah. yum. Wow.
2: I can just imagine you doing that and thinking to yourself, you know, what about literature? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: I did it about two weeks, and as soon as I had that $800, I just like ah ran over to where you handed in your equipment, and then I just like took a sprint out the door. <laughs> it's happiest it, day of my life. It's entirely possible that
2: somebody in Amarillo, Texas, is listening to this right now and going, "That's where that son of a gun went." <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> but they've got a check for me.
2: I, I know your work pretty well, and and there's this story that you've told that I'd love to tell you again. It's you had decided to become a writer, and you you decided to be a writer, and you wrote a novel. And you decided it was terrible.
0: Yeah, but I, but I wrote it first. Right. And uh, it, yeah, it was like a 700-page um, right. accounting of a, a wedding that I'd gone to in Mexico. A friend of mine got married down there. And so I came back, and I said to my wife, just trust me. This is going to work. Just let me do this thing. So for about a year and a half, you know, I got up early and stayed up late. And um, our kids were little at that time. And so finally, at the end of this period, I have this 700-page book and the title of it was La Boda de Eduardo, which means, like, Ed's Wedding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it sounds like a and, sitcom that should be on CBS. <laughs> yeah. and, and with great reverence, I handed it up to my wife, you know, like, well, just take your time. There's no rush. I'm, I'm pretty sure about what I've done here. And um, so, of course, like any writer, I sneak around the corner and I'm kind of watching her. And uh, she must have been on about maybe page six. And I look in and she's got her head in her hands with this look of deep grief on her face, you know? So, so, and I knew, you know, I instantly knew it was, it was incoherent. You know, I was too tired when I wrote it. So that was a big, you know, big day. Right. Which is, I, I've
2: read your first story. And if I understand correctly, you were at that time working in an office, right? To make a living, right? To
0: support your family. That's right. Yeah. A te- and, as a tech writer.
2: And, and your first story in your first collection or the first story that you, I believe you published is about an office. And the protagonist is a like a complete loser, and everybody hates him, but he gets to be the boss for a little while.
0: I brought- yeah, that, it, there were a series of stories that were all they were in theme parks that were basically offices, right? And uh, you know, and there, you know, the idea was to be kind of wacky and funny. And I had Bonnet in mind and Monty Python, but the really interesting thing was when I just said, "Oh, to hell with it! Be funny, be irreverent." You know, at that point, I felt like whether they're good or not, they're really speaking to me, uh, and, and, and they're really kind of confusing me. And you know, I'm having a lot of fun.
2: And you knew that you were onto something when you actually heard your wife laugh
0: when she read something you wrote, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the very first thing I wrote after that that Mexican book was um, uh, I just wrote a series of kind of pornographic scatological poems at work while while <laughs> I was on a conference call, just kind of killing time, and uh, <laughs> you know, that those kind of poems. And um, oh
2: yeah, those kind of poems. <laughs>
0: Yeah. A lot yeah. of men but, uh, from Nantucket. And... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah.
0: This is NPR. And we I... know about those poems. And then I also illustrated them on, on the other page and brought those home, and I almost <laughs> threw them in the garbage, you know, almost threw them away, and, uh, but I just left them on the table, and I look in, and sure, sure enough, Paula was, you know, genuinely laughing, and it was kind of like the first time in many years that anyone had reacted that you know positively to anything I'd written. Usually it was kind of like you'd give a friend something to read and they'd go, okay, well, yeah. I <laughs> I, I, I read it. You wrote I this really whole did, thing yeah. all by yourself. Yeah, you, there was a lot of punctuation. <laughs> yeah. So uh, George,
2: obviously you've, you've won all this uh, acclaim as a serious writer of literary fiction, the MacArthur Genius Grant and the Man Booker Prize and many other things. Uh, and you're understanding and appreciation of writing is very sophisticated. Do you have any, like, guilty pleasures, like when you're just tired of being a literary giant? Do you uh, watch
3: Love Island, Australia?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to guess. Well, exactly. <laughs> Love Island, Australia, specifically.
0: Well, I think I'm going I'm to pick up this new version of Clue.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
2: very sexy.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: I would love to
2: hear it if, like, George Saunders was, like, really into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for example. Is there, is there
0: anything like that? Uh, well, I, I mean, I'm a big music fan, but I, I don't know if that's a guilty pleasure. Uh, I Really, but, I mean, I, I will watch anything and read anything. I think the, the idea is to be kind of a sieve, you know, and if you, if you, you know, when I was growing up on the South Side, my idea of literary was whatever I couldn't understand. You know, if, I, if I picked up a book and couldn't make sense of it, it must be great. And now I feel <laughs> like, uh, so, so there's kind of a, an, an elite feeling to what I thought literature was. But now I just think it's anything that connects people in a way that's deeper than the usual way, habitual way we connect that can be seen as literature. So, you know, I just say, let it all in and I'll, I'll sort it out at the writing desk.
2: Well, what keeps me up at night is the peril of Thanos, destroying half of all life in the universe. <laughs> I'm gonna take that as a guess. Yes, I, I have one more thing I'm gonna offer before we get to our game, which is I have an idea, if you want to outsell Prince Harry, speaking as, as one of your fans, the one thing that we would love and snap up every copy would be an anthology of pornographic poems with drawings on the back. Yeah. <laughs> Am I
0: right? Yeah. I'm just saying. I, I think you've got the title right there. I know, yes. Pornographic <laughs> Poems with Drawings on the Back by George Saunders. That's, that's,
5: and, if, and It's and done. If, if at least one of them centered around Clue, I think you got your hook.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well,
2: George Saunders, it is always such a joy to talk to you. And we have invited you here to play a game we're calling The Art of the Court Story. So as we've discussed, you write and teach short stories. We thought we'd ask you about court stories, things that have happened in courtrooms across the country. Answer two out of these three questions correctly. You'll win our prize one of our listeners, the voice of anyone from our show they might choose. Bill, who is George Saunders playing for?
1: Jane Owens of Las
0: Vegas, Nevada. All right. Here's your first question. A man named... Can I named... Just tell Jane if I, Jane, if I lose, I'll put my voice on your machine. <laughs> oh, hey, that's good. No losers here. Here's your
2: first question, George. A man named Richard Overton once sued Anheuser-Busch, the famous brewery, for $10,000. Why? A, he says they stole his idea for a, quote, completely tasteless beer. (laughs) B, he says that their ads lied when they promised drinking beer would attract beautiful women. Or C, his constant repeating of the line, what's up, from those Bud Light ads cost him all of his friends.
1: (laughs)
0: That way, I can't be right, because losing all your... If you you said got him divorced, I would believe it, but that doesn't really make sense. What was number two again? Number two was that he says that the ads lied when they promised drinking beer would attract beautiful young women. I I don't know. I I guess I'll go with that one, but I I don't know. Uh, No, you're right. That's, in fact, what happened. It turns out... Despite what they show
2: you in all those ads, gorgeous women in bikinis are not attracted to the sound of beer cans opening. Who knew? All right. (laughs) Second question. A man named Alan Heckard once sued Michael Jordan, Chicago's own, for $416 million for what? A, for having a lot of money and just not sharing it with other people. (laughs) B, for looking like him because he was tired of people asking him if he was Michael Jordan. (laughs) C, for not growing his hair out and letting the world know that male pattern baldness was not a source
0: of shame. (laughs) I'm going to go with number two.
2: That's right. He was, to be fair, Mr. Hackard, he did look a lot like Michael Jordan and I could see how that would get annoying. Okay, George, last question. According to a book collecting excerpts from actual court reporters' transcripts, which of these questions was actually asked by an attorney to a witness? A, doctor, isn't it true that when a person dies in his sleep, he doesn't know about it until the next morning? (laughs) B, the youngest son, the 20-year-old, how old is he? (laughs) Or C, were you present when your picture was taken?
0: Oh, my God. All of those seem viable, give, giving human nature. Uh, I'm going to say C, the third one. You were right in the first place. They were all true.
2: They Whoa. all were said in court.
0: Hey, yeah, I didn't even know that was an option. Yeah, it,
2: <laughs> it is now.
1: How about that, judge? Bill, how did George Saunders do in our quiz? Perfect, of course. He's from the South Side. Yeah. <laughs>
2: George Saunders is a Booker Prize-winning author. His newest collection of short stories, *Liberation Day*, is out now. George Saunders, thank you so much for joining us. And wait, wait, don't tell me. Okay. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Oh, George, it's great to talk to you. Take care. Hi, right, George. Welcome
1: to a lot, George. Thanks.
2: Bye, hey, George. Bye. 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 In just a minute, Bill has a warning about the menace hiding in everybody's pantry. Call one triple eight. Wait, wait, to join us on the air. We'll be back in a minute with more. of Wait, wait, don't tell me. From NPR. From your car radio to your smart speaker. NPR meets you where you are in a lot of different ways. Now we're in your pocket. Download the NPR
3: app today. The day's top headlines, local stories from your community, your next podcast binge listen. You can have it all in one place, your pocket. Download the NPR app today. The NPR app cuts through the noise,
5: bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today.
1: From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. The NPR News Quiz I'm Bill Curtis We are playing this week with Paula Poundstone Peter Gross and Emmy Blotnick And here again is your host At the Studebaker Theater In Chicago,
2: Illinois Peter Sagel. Thank you Bill In just a minute Bill gives in to his rhymeal urges in our Listener Limerick Challenge game. If you'd like to play, give us a call at 1-888-WAIT-WAIT. That's one 888 Right now, panel, some more questions for you from the week's news. Peter, the Wall Street Journal reports an increase in dating coaches not being hired by single people themselves, but instead being hired by whom? Married people? Uh, no.
4: Makes sense to me. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not being hired by, single, by, by their mothers.
2: Exactly yeah. right. Oh, wow. <laughs> My son's not good at this. I know. Exactly <laughs> right. You have no idea how close you are to the truth. More and more parents are surprising their adult children with obsessions uh, with dating coaches, uh, just the thing you want to make them uncomfortable about being single and you don't want to wait for Thanksgiving pleasantly surprising you forgot the word pleasantly Pleasantly surprising surprising. oh yes the children are always so delighted uh one of these mothers told the wall street journal that she created a dating app profile for her daughter and then she'd scroll through it looking for suitable young men and then finding one she'd send her daughter a picture of the guy with the daughter's head photoshopped next to him Oh. oh here you are as a couple but don't worry This mother told the journal, quote, I know where the weird line was, and I wasn't going to cross it. (laughs) Wow. That is wild. Just get a
4: hobby.
3: I mean, it's impressive that she knows how to Photoshop.
4: That's true. (laughs) That's true. She took a whole advanced thing. They were like, you can get involved in your child's life.
2: I'll learn Photoshop. (laughs) I'm a graphic designer. (laughs) Peter, a new study suggests that an extinct species turns out to have been much smarter than we previously thought, perhaps even smart enough to use tools. What animal am I talking about? That is extinct? Yes. Famously extinct. The Tyrannosaurus Rex? Tyrannosaurus Rex, exactly right. A stud, yes, T-Rex. I deserve that. The study looked at uh, brain cases, Tyrannosaurus Rex fossils, and determined that they could have had brains with as many neurons as a baboon, which... If you know any baboons, uh, that's enough to have a social system, uh, pass knowledge down through generations, culture, and even use tools. But how awful would it have been to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex, to be smart enough to use tools, but never be able to reach down and pick one up if you drop it?
4: (laughs) You know, the thing with dinosaurs is, like, we don't even know what they looked like. All we have is their bones, and it's just a bunch of scientists who are like, wouldn't it be cool if they were, like, this color, and they had this kind of swirl or whatever, and now we're adding, like, and they could use tools, and they were super nice to scientists. (laughs) And and... they love to read. (laughs)
3: They drink little espressos.
4: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. They have a brain that could could make an espresso and could squash a bean. They could even make uh, like a cappuccino if they knew how to froth milk with their hot fire. Like, we're just making everything up about dinosaurs.
2: I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just imagining a Tyrannosaur gently doing one of those pour overs. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Paula, a supermarket chain in the Netherlands has introduced special checkout lanes in its stores. Lanes that are guaranteed to be what?
5: I love this.
4: All
2: right. Slow. That's right,
4: Paula. <laughs> Slow checkout lanes? Slow, check-out, Slow lane.
5: checkout lanes. Because the clerk talks to you, and you can talk to the clerk and say, hey, how you do?" I love this. I think it's genius. And it's been very popular.
2: So you're saying, Paula, that you would really enjoy a checkout lane <laughs> where you were encouraged to talk. <laughs> 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 yes, they are called Kletskasa, which uh, translates to chat checkout. And it is for people who genuinely like to spend a little time chatting with the cashier when they're shopping. That's right. It's for psychopaths. Yeah.
3: I mean, think of all the podcasts we wouldn't have if it's more true. people would
2: do this. Yeah, I know. honestly,
4: I, It's here's the, the exact opposite the, of you going to uh, like a one of those machines and you scanning it right, yourself. I think right. that is... Really pathetic. That is like, that's just the store being like, we give up. I mean, you know how this works. Like, just you do it. I will
3: say I every time to... I use one of those self-checkouts, yeah. I need a lot of help. Yeah, and, right. like, yeah. They so have up to meeting me. a lot of
2: You meet the attendant. You meet the manager. Yeah, they're like, it's what are great. these? Sometimes, sometimes in my case, when things go so poorly, I meet the security team. <laughs> it's
0: great. <laughs>
2: Coming up, it's Lightning fill in the Blank, but first it's the game where you have to listen for the rhyme. If you'd like to play on air, call or leave a message at 1-888-WAIT-WAIT. That's one 888 or click the Contact Us link on our website, waitwait.npr.org, or you can come see us here at our new home at the beautiful Studebaker Theater in downtown Chicago. For show dates, tickets, and more information, go to nprpresents.org. Hi, you are on Wait Wait, Don't Tell Me.
0: Hi, my name is Matt Pelliston, and I'm from Kimberly, Idaho.
2: Kimberly, Idaho? Another caller from Idaho. What do you do there?
0: I'm a high school choir and musical theater teacher. Oh, my goodness.
2: <laughs> wow. So that's, uh, I never make fun of music teachers because I, I think you guys do amazing work. But I do want to ask, I have noticed uh, near where I live that school musicals, high school musicals, have gotten really, really good. I mean, leagues, yes. leagues beyond what, what, I've, what I was able to do back, back in the day. Is that true in Kimberly, Idaho? Well, we are a small, emerging
0: school, so no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and
4: that's how he got fired from his job. Uh,
2: well, Matthew, welcome to the show. Bill Curtis <laughs> is going to perform for you three news-related limericks with the last word or phrase missing from each. If you can fill in that last word or phrase correctly, and two of the limericks will be a winner. Are you ready to play? I am. Here is your first limerick. We fabulous
1: folk are a Twitter... Give us sparkles, or we will grow bitter. We need little bits of bright, shiny glint. Tell us who has been hogging the... What we call in theater, because it's terrible on stage, it is like the STD of
0: theater. We call it glitter. Yes!
2: <laughs> That's quite an analogy, Matthew. Yeah. um... We are suffering a a once-in-a-generation shortage of glitter because there's one anonymous person somewhere who is buying up all the nightmare craft supply. This means no one knows where the majority of manufactured glitter is actually going, but I think we all know where the glitter goes. It goes absolutely everywhere. Is it really one person? Apparently, the plot thickened when, in an interview, a representative for GlitterX, which produces most of our glitter, was asked, who is your biggest buyer? And she answered, you would never guess. Michael Bloomberg.
4: <laughs> he has the money. He has the resources. I think you nailed it one one. He has the time.
2: <laughs> Maybe all the glitter in the country is also hidden next to Biden's Corvette. <laughs> all right. Very good, Matthew. Here is your next limerick.
1: I admit I have hand-washing vices after seasoning pork or beef slices. My thyme and paprika are rife with bacteria. I contaminate all of my... Spices, Spices. yes. yes. Scientists have
2: finally figured out the grossest thing in your kitchen, and that is your spice jars. And, and that, it's even worse than the toilet seat you're using as a charcuterie board because you saw somebody <laughs> do it on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> this is such, so surprising. Who would have thought there was anything disgusting about a jar of something called meat rub? <laughs> It's the idea that it just gets cross-contaminated. Exactly. This is you're... what they did. It's quite ingenious. Uh, they took some turkey meat, and they sort of contaminated it with a special yet harmless bacteria that they can trace. And they handed it to people, and they said, make turkey burgers. And they made turkey burgers in the kitchen according to a recipe. And then they went through the kitchen, and they looked for the bacteria, and they found high concentrations in the spice jars because people would, like, pick it up with their dirty meat hands and their dirty meat feet and get it all over the spice jars. Wait, meat feet? Well, you making... know, some people get enthusiastic about turkey burgers. <laughs> people need to wash their hands. Yeah. All right, here is your last limerick. I need walking.
1: Why aren't you home yet? Here's a pic. Does my nose still look wet? And emojis. How crude. Lots of bowl without food. Those are texts that I get from my
0: Oh, I sure hope my pet isn't texting. She's, she can not even talk to me. I know, it is a pet. Very good.
2: Uh, at this year's CES, the big electronics show, a company unveiled amazing new technology that allows your dog to text you, they say. It's going to be a learning curve for dogs, though, who think SMH means sniff my hiney. The new technology involves these, this device with buttons that dogs can allegedly use to tap, to communicate different things. Things like ball or walk, or you are going to be so amused when you see the x-ray of what I just ate. <laughs> the technology costs $250, which seems pretty steep to learn that, yes, your dog would, amazingly, like a treat. <laughs>
5: you know what that's really for? The whole thing is a study to find out who has 250
2: extra dollars. <laughs> Bill, how did Matthew do in our quiz?
1: Matthew's perfect score is the sound
2: of music. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much for playing, Matthew. In our next bonus episode, a new quiz game we're calling the Wait, Wait, Wayback Machine. We are challenging a listener to answer questions about the week's news. Okay, sounds good. But these are questions that appeared on our show 20 years ago. This candidate definitely needed help because he needed to seize the Jomentum. Oh, yes. (laughs) You don't remember this guy? This is Jomentum?
3: I mean, I was a sophomore, junior in high school.
2: Play along as you think to yourself, wait, wait, I've been listening to this show for 20 years? Sorry for any feelings of mortality that might bring up. That's in our next bonus episode. Sign up to hear it and support NPR at plus.npr.org. That link is in our episode notes.
1: Hey, it's Aisha Roscoe from NPR's Up First podcast. I'm one of thousands of NPR Network voices coming to you from over 200 local newsrooms across the country. We bring all Americans closer together through free and independent journalism, music, politics, culture, and so much more. The NPR Network. What you hear changes everything. Learn more at npr.org network.
2: Now onto our final game. Lightning fill in the blank. Each of our players will have 60 seconds in which to answer as many fill-in-the-blank questions as they can. Each correct answer now worth two points. Bill, can you give us the scores?
1: Emmy and Paula
2: each have two. Peter has three. Alright. So that means Peter, you're third. And between Thanks. Emmy and Paula, Paula, I will arbitrarily choose you to go first. The clock will start when I begin your first question. Fill in the blank. On Wednesday, officials said there was no evidence that the computer error that grounded thousands of blanks was caused by a cyber attack. Airplanes. Right. Following a tentative deal, more than 7,000 striking blanks in New York announced plans to return to work.
5: Nurses. Right.
2: This week, the World Bank forecasted a high risk of a global blank coming in 2023. Uh, I don't know, recession? Yes, on Tuesday, Representative Katie Porter announced her intent to run for blank's Senate seat. Diane now. Right. This week, a conservative columnist who said her New Year's resolution was to, quote, shoot guns and watch football, unquote, blanked. Um, got shot? No, she shot herself in the foot while watching football. Oh, gosh. <laughs> on Monday, the Georgia Bulldogs beat Texas Christian University to claim their second straight college blank title. Uh, uh, Sugar Bowl! Football Football, yes, yes, Paula This week, a fire in Wisconsin caused a historic canal to be completely clogged with blank Um, uh, flame retardant No, with melted (laughs) butter Oh! Mm. And what is definitely the most Mm. Wisconsin disaster of all time A fire at a dairy plant caused melted butter to flood the town of Portage Clogging up its historic canal and several storm drains
1: And arteries Bill, how did Paula do in our quiz? Paul, got five right, ten more points, total of 12, and the lead.
5: Oh, I got the lead. <clears throat> Gotta hang on to that.
2: All right, Emmy, you're up next. You ready to play? Yes. All right. Here we go. Fill in the blank. On Tuesday, thousands of protesters took to the streets demanding tough punishments for the rioters who stormed blanks capital.
3: Our nation's? no brazil,
5: brazil. brazil. right okay.
2: according to new data china is yeah, on it. track to have over one million blank deaths in 2023 covid yes this week russia announced it was replacing its military commander in the war with blank ukraine right on tuesday alan wesselberg the former cfo of blank's real estate business was sentenced to five months in prison at uh, trump yes on monday farmers <laughs> in the u.s won the right to repair their own blank brand farm equipment John Deere? Yes. On Wednesday, Russia announced it was sending a replacement capsule to rescue astronauts stranded on the blank. Moon? The ISS. Of course. (laughs) Stranded on the moon would be amazing. (laughs) This week, guards at a prison in Canada said they apprehended a blank trying to smuggle drugs into the prison. A criminal. No, a pigeon with a tiny backpack full of meth. (laughs) I picked it with a tiny backpack. Officials say they've been trained to keep an eye out for drones carrying contraband over the prison walls, but they'd never before caught a live bird smuggling drugs. But that's probably because drug dealers are too scared the birds would steal the meth for themselves. I mean, why else would woodpeckers be up at 2 in the morning drilling (laughs) thousands of holes into trees? (laughs) Did I win? Dale, how did Emmy do in our quiz?
1: Well, she did very well. came close. Five right. Ten more points. Twelve, which means you're (laughs) tied with Paula. What an honor.
2: All right, then. How many does Peter need to win? Five to win. Here we go, Peter. This is for the game. On Sunday, President Biden flew to El Paso to make his first official visit to the blank. Uh, Southern border. Right. On Tuesday, the Pentagon confirmed that Ukrainian fighters would be trained on how to use the blank missile system. The one we gave them. Is it called Patriot? It is called Patriot, yes. Ooh, yes. This week, nice. The National Weather Service warned of increased flood risk as more heavy storms uh, hit blank. California. Right. This week a woman in Chicago tried to return $800 worth of books that she had purchased over the holidays, explaining that she had blanked. Read them and they stunk. No, that she had only bought them to make her house look nice for Christmas. <laughs> Often hailed as one of the greatest modern guitar players ever, blank passed away at the age of 78. Uh, Jeff Beck. Right. On Tuesday, the Fablemans and Abbott Elementary were the big winners at the 2023 Blank Awards. Golden Globes. Right. This week, a couple robbing a home in Florida were caught after they blanked. Uh, Had sex
4: in the house and accidentally called 911 while they were having sex. No.
2: (laughs) A couple robbed the home and then called 911 for help moving all the heavy items they stole. (laughs) Bill did
1: Peter, do well enough to win? Came very close. Five right. Ten more points. But
2: a total of 13. The champion by one. Yay! Peter Gross. In just a minute, we're going to ask our panelists, after those classified documents, what else will they find in President Joe Biden's garage? But first, let me tell you that... Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Godica writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our tour manager is Shayna Donald. Thanks to the staff and crew at the Studebaker Theater, B.J. Lederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Rumboss, and Lillian King. Special thanks this week to Vinnie Thomas and Monica Hickey. Our frozen todger is Peter Gwynn. <laughs> <laughs> Our intern is Vaishnavi Naidu. Technical direction is from Lorna White. Our CFO is Colin Miller. Our production manager is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillog. And the executive producer of Wait Wait Don't Tell Me is Mike Dorothy Ann Danforth. Now, panel, what else will they find in Biden's garage? Peter Gross. George Santos's championship volleyball trophy,
4: his MacArthur Genius Prize, and his NAACP Image Award. <laughs>
3: Emmy Blotnik. A halfway decent Led Zeppelin cover band.
2: <laughs> and Paula Poundstone.
3: A diorama
5: hunter made in the third grade. A Kennedy half dollar, a sock, and kittens. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, if any of that happens, panel, we'll ask you about it on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank
2: you, Bill Curtis. Thanks also to Paula Boundstone, Peter Gross, Semi Blodnick. Thanks to all of you for listening at home and to our fabulous audience here at the Studio Baker Theater. You're the best. I'm Peter Segel. We'll see you next week. What's happening on NPR podcasts? More
3: neighborhoods and more perspectives. The more of the world that you hear, the more you hear the world as it really is. NPR podcasts, more voices, all ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Big news stories don't always break
5: on your schedule. But with the NPR app, news, culture, and podcasts are ready
3: when you want them in your pocket. Download the NPR app today.